this series, we are kind of addressing this idea of what would it look like if we open ourselves up to the things of God? So last week we talked about open mind. Hey, you're gonna have to make your own educated decision based on what you believe the scriptures are saying and, and how you're gonna live out this life for Christ. And so last weekend we just, we talked about giving through the, the lens of an open mind. Hey, just ra rationalize with scripture. This is the reasoning behind it. This is the logic in which God is applying. So last week was open mind. And tonight or today we are talking about open heart. And it comes to us in this passage, this is kind of the cornerstone verse of this series. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. This is where he's like, hey, understand, open your mind, there's a concept here. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided. Again, this this isn't something that you give because you were pressured or you give because you were manipulated or you give because you were, you know, pushed to do something impulsive. No, 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 no. You give because of what you've decided and discerned in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He's saying, hey, understand this idea of sowing and reaping. I understand the importance of living a generous life in which we talked about last week, without generosity, Christianity would not exist. I mean, you pull generosity out of the equation and there is no savior on the cross. There is no salvation for our sins. Humanity is left with only despair. It's a hopeless scenario. Without generosity, there is no Christianity. And in this passage, he says, each and every single one of us should decide in our heart what to give. So this is not only opening our mind, it's, it's opening our heart and it is recognizing that I have decisions to make in my faith. I would say it this way, giving isn't just a decision of the heart. Giving reveals the condition of the heart. I mean, what this is doing is it's saying, hey, out of the overflow of the heart, right, your mouth speaks and your life acts and the byproduct of what is taking place in you is evident by what is taking place through you, right? And so it's a matter of the heart. And I think a lot of times when it comes to generosity, we get this wrong. When it comes to generosity, a lot of people have some misconceptions or poor assumptions. And here's the biggest one. A lot of people, when they think of giving, they think it is something rich people do. It's funny, like when you hear the, the conversation surrounding giving, people think, well, that is, that's for those who have extra money. That's for those with a larger income. And what you find is you can do studies upon studies uh, it is not the wealthy who are the most generous. That's just something that you'll bump into. You jump into my line of work, you'll find that the most generous people are not the wealthiest people. And so what scripture is saying is, no, it's the matter of the heart. And it would go on to tell us this, giving is not a wealth issue. Giving is a health issue. That, that's, hey, it's, it's out of the overflow of your heart that these things come to pass. That giving, it is a heart's decision. It reveals your heart's condition. Giving is not a wealth issue. Wealthy people don't give. Healthy people give. 
despite what your economic means are, despite what your income is, it is the healthy who live open-handed to the things of God. And so the question for every single one of us when we gather in a space like this is to do our own due diligence, to ask the courageous questions and to honestly assess ourselves. Am I a healthy person? Or is there something that is eroding or corroding the internal space within me? I think a, a lot of times our errors in life are due to the fact that we do not put in the work internally to develop our inner person. Our matters of the soul and heart and emotion and, and thoughts and feelings, there's, there's a lot in there. And so it's saying, hey, I, have to, I wanna be a healthy, healthy person. Because what Jesus is getting at in scripture is what you're doing reveals how you're doing. Right, this is the parable of the soil that we talked about a few weeks ago. Hey, there's good soil and then there's rocky soil and then there's thorny soil. And then there's like the, the path that's hardened soil. And he's basically saying, hey, I'm gonna scatter seed and eventually we're gonna find out what kind of soil all of us are by what we produce. And, and the same is true in, in our heart. Eventually, we can tell which kind of people all of us are by how we're doing. What you're doing is indicative of how we're doing. And so it's just saying, God, is there anything in my life that stands in resistance to your work in me and through me? This is a, this is a heart issue. And I think when it comes to generosity, I think there are some ways in which we can approach it. There's some postures and some mindsets that I think we ought to have. And one, I would say, folks, we ought to give without remembering and receive without forgetting. In other words, we, we don't give for credit. We don't, we don't give for attention. We don't give to keep score. We don't give to, you know, draw attention to ourselves. No, 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 no. We, we give without remembering. I'm not keeping a tab. You don't owe me anything. I'm not doing this for applause. But we receive without forgetting. In other words, hey, we are people who are marked by gratitude. And we're so thankful for all that God is doing in and through our lives. And we're so thankful for the generosity of others, which is something that is really interesting to think about. Every single one of us, when we lean into a conversation like this, let's just call it like it is, sometimes it creates a healthy tension, maybe even some discomfort. Because there's something about us thinking about becoming a generous person that makes us uncomfortable. I get that. But don't you love generous people? I mean, every single one of us, you may not be a generous person, but we all love generous people. That is something interesting to pay attention to. Hey, what is that? Whenever you're around a generous person, you're like, man, they're so amazing. They're so open-handed. They're such a blessing. They're, they're such a breath of fresh air. They, they live with a freedom and, and look at the impact and the influence. Their, their life is contagious. We love generous people. It's just a challenge for us to become generous people. And I think scripture is so pointed in getting to the heart of the matter. Hey, let's, let's address the things beneath the surface, which in this, every single one of us has room to grow in this area. Paul at one point was getting ready to depart from a, a church, getting ready to say his farewell, his goodbye to the leaders in the congregation. And he was kind of planning his, his final speech 
Like if you're gonna say goodbye to some people who you really care about, you're gonna say goodbye to some people who you've been in relationship with, some people who you really care about their well-being. what would be some of the final things you would say? And look how Paul says his farewell. He says, now I commit you to God. In, in other words, he's, he's saying, guys, before I leave, I, I want you to be committed. I want you to have a righteous resolve. I don't want you to throw in the towel. I want you to stay to the course. I, I commit you to God. And this is huge, the word of his grace. In other words, I want you to be so anchored in the gospel, so anchored in this good news, so anchored and aware of God's grace upon your life. That is the, the overarching theme and narrative of the follower of Christ is grace. I want you to be committed to it, which can build you up. I love that statement. He's like, hey, listen, life is gonna try to tear you down. There's gonna be some hardships and, and some trials and you're gonna face some inconveniences, but this grace has a way of fortifying your life and, and strengthening you from the inside out. And this grace, it can build you up in a world that's trying to tear you down. So stay committed. Don't falter in this. And he goes on to say, not only can it build you up, it will give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He's saying, hey, there's been patriarchs and matriarchs and in the hall of fame of the faith, the pioneers of what we believe, the individuals who are now a part of this, this cloud of witnesses that scripture talks about witnessing our lives. And he's like, hey, when you commit to this word of grace, you find yourself in the same category of those people where you get to experience God doing remarkable things in and through your life. He goes on to say, now I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions, right? He says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, I love it. I love that Paul doesn't try to disguise it as something that it's not. Hey, if you're gonna commit to a life of faith, just know it takes some work. In fact, there are days that it's hard work. But here's the deal. Faith may take work, but faith works. And Paul's just saying, hey, would you stay committed? I've shown you that through this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Hey, hey we must play a part and adding value and making a difference and having impact and influence in the world around us. We must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's an interesting farewell. Paul, that's how you wanna leave it? You're gonna say goodbye to these individuals who you care deeply about, and this is gonna be your final statement. Yeah. When I think about it, the most important thing I can put before them is, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I know that some of you are, are young people, and so you've yet to experience Christmas on the other side of the experience. What I mean by that is growing up, I thought Christmas was amazing. I would love running into the living room and seeing the presents under the tree because as a kid, in your mind, you're thinking there's nothing better than Christmas. And there is. You know what's better than 
Christmas as a kid, Christmas as a parent. I'm just telling you, it's a different experience. Yeah, it is fun to receive, but oh my goodness, the joy and the thrill and the excitement and the satisfaction when giving. I just love when my kids come around the corner. I love the squeals and the energy and I love the madness in the room. I don't care if I get anything, watching them receive something is such a great experience. Come on, can I get an amen from all my parents and grandparents? It is just so much better and more blessed to give than to receive. And what we find is this is, it's rooted in grace. What you find throughout scripture is you cannot separate grace and generosity. Pay attention to this. When you go through your own scripture, pay attention to the link between grace and generosity. One way of saying it is generosity is love in action, right? It is love in action. What's the most obvious way that you love someone? You're generous towards them. And I'm convinced of this, you can give without loving. That's called making a donation. But you can't love without giving. That's called making a difference. There's a big difference, I think, in the minds of those who view it as making a donation and those who view it as making a difference. I wanna be on the side that says, hey, I I wanna do so because I, I love the world around me and I love people and I care deeply about them and I wanna make a difference. And so it is learning to lean into a life of love and to be so open hearted and open handed to the world around us. And this is something that, I mean, it always comes to the surface in Jesus' ministry. And there's this pointed passage that I think in this entire series, I do believe this, this will probably be one of the least impressive sermons, but maybe the most impactful. I just have this this feeling in my heart that this next passage that we're gonna look at is going to be a game changer for individuals. That when we look back on the series, we'll think, well, there's better sermons, but that one, shifted some things in my heart. And look at what happens. It says, as Jesus started on his way, which Jesus was always on the move. And you should know that Jesus remains on the move. He's always active and productive in and through our lives, even when we can't trace his hand. Jesus started on his way and a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. This is such a a gentle conversation Jesus is having with him. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And teacher, he declared, All of these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. Understand that this conversation is rooted in love. This is an empathetic, endearing, oh, I love you type of conversation. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had 
great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, now this is not a judgment. If anything, this is like an empathetic reflection. He sees the man walk away sad and Jesus like, oh, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his word, but Jesus said again, no, 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 children, how hard? Like how difficult is this to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, well then, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. I mean, this is, well, this can be an uncomfortable passage. And this is a passage that I find that gets misinterpreted and poorly understood by most. And I think there's a lot going on. And I would say that this is one of those passages that when you read it, you gotta slow down. Sounds like a strange thing to say as a pastor, but some of you, you're reading too much too fast. When it comes to the Bible, slow down. One, if I were you, I would highlight every single verb in the text. Just take five to seven verses and highlight the verbs because those imply action. Hey, what are the action steps in this context? But if there's ever a question, oh my goodness, you should slow down and stare at the question. The questions in scripture are so profound. And sometimes you need to just chew on a question for a day or maybe a couple days. What is it in these questions? The man comes to Jesus and he's like, hey, I wanna follow you. And what I love about Jesus is he's not a salesman. He's not a con artist. He's not trying to trick anyone. He's like, wait a second, pump the brakes. Think about the decision you're making. Jesus was not manipulative. He wasn't even trying to get people to be impulsive. No, wait a second. Think about this. And he asked him this question. Why do you call me good? He follows it up and he says, only God is good. Jesus doesn't come out boastful or prideful. He doesn't come out with some showmanship. He doesn't come out with a statement, hey, I'm God. No, instead he, he just gently is moving him into his own discovery. Hey, think about what you're asking. Why do you call me good? What Jesus is saying is, hey, you're onto something. Would you keep pressing in? Your instincts are accurate. And some of you, you're in this stage. You are recognizing that there's something about this Jesus that is good. In fact, better and different from anything else the world can offer. And there's this instinct, there's this impression, wait a second, something in me tells me I should follow this one. This Jesus is different. And some of you, you're there. And, and like this man, I, I just feel like the urge is to trust your instincts. Yes, he's good, but why is he good? You know, and Jesus kind of goes down the, the list of commandments, which is really interesting. If you go through the list, Jesus doesn't hit him with the full 10 commandments. If you go through the list of the 10 commandments, there are the horizontal commandments, the ways in which we relate to each other. 
So you shouldn't cover your neighbor's house or commit adultery or murder or steal or defraud, right? It's all the ways in which we honor each other. What's missing from the list is all the vertical commandments, the ways in which we relate to God. And what Jesus rattles off the list and the guy's like, yeah, I've done all those things since I was a boy, overlooking the fact that there's things that he didn't list in the moment. Jesus is like, yeah, you've gotten really good at relating to others, but you're overlooking the importance of relating to me. I mean, this is, this is big. And it says that Jesus says, hey, sell everything you own and follow me. And it says the man's face fell and he walked away sad. Why? Because he had great wealth. And I think this is where we, we go sideways in the church. There tends to be two camps that develop and I don't co-sign to either one. I think either one is faulty in their thinking. One, you have what would be called the prosperity gospel. Individuals, in fact, some of you, you became a Christian because someone told you this bag of lies. Hey, become a Christian, give your life to Jesus and tomorrow you'll wake up and life will be perfect. No issues, no struggles. You'll log into your bank account. You'll have more money than you've ever had. You'll wake up and angels will bring you slippers and one will be playing a harp. A butterfly will float by you in the middle of the morning, right? You'll come downstairs. Your kids will be circled up doing devotions. You'll be like, I gave my life to Christ yesterday and poof, I now live in a utopia. And then some of you found out that's just not the case. You gave your life to Christ and you woke up the next day to life, Amen. right? And so some have developed a whole theology around give your life to Christ and you will be rich. Economically, your income will skyrocket. And I just don't co-sign to that. On the flip side of that though, there are those who have developed what is called the poverty gospel where they think God wants us to commit to a life of poverty which anyone who's done their own reading of scripture knows that that theology doesn't carry weight either. And so it's living in the tension where we go sideways as believers is we try to dissolve the tension. No, without the tension, we don't have balance. Think about that. You need tension at times. And so it's living in that tension. And I find that when it comes to these conversations, we do a major disservice to brothers and sisters around us. What happens is in conversations like this is we ostracize and we shame the wealthy. Because what happens is, is there's, there's all these microaggressive statements that you hear within the local church. And you'll hear people be like, oh, I don't need a nice house to be happy. I don't need the nice car to be happy. I don't need all those things, a boat. And like, I don't need any of that to be happy. And an earshot of you, is someone who's worked really hard, made really wise decisions, put biblical stewardship into practice and is now on the other side of the results of those good decisions. And they're thinking to themselves, yeah, neither do I. I didn't need the house to be happy. I didn't need the car to be happy. I didn't need the boat to be happy, but I, I was a good steward. And so what happens is, is poverty and sometimes in churches becomes a strange form of self-righteousness. Hear me on this, come on, lean into me a little bit. 
Poverty sometimes can become a strange form of self-righteousness where we ostracize and shame those of great means. And Jesus, is, it says his heart is gripped for this man. It's like, oh, how hard, how hard is it? It is impossible, right? Which I think fills people with so much despair. Like, wait a second, it's impossible. But God's like, yeah, it's impossible for man, but not for me. Our God shows up. Anyone thankful that our God shows up and looks at impossible situations and thinks, watch me work in that situation. Watch me go to work in that individual's life. Watch me accomplish the impossible. Here's what Jesus is getting at. And here's the thing we don't ever wanna talk about. Money opens doors. No one wants to talk about that, but it does. Money can open the door of education. Money can open doors of healthcare. Money can open doors of travel and pleasure. Money can open doors of hobbies. It can open doors of safety and security. Money can create more opportunities. Money opens a lot of doors. And here's what Jesus is getting at. This is what makes it so difficult for the wealthy is they go through life and they're able to open any door they want. And so they live with this track record of, wait a second, there's never been a door that I couldn't open. And then they get to the final door, the most important door of their life and they can't open the door. He's saying it's so hard to help someone understand that you will be able to possibly open every door but the last door. And it's so hard to get them to see it before they get to that doorstep. Oh, this is challenging. And, and it's just a big question. And there's another question. The disciples are like, well, then who? Who can be saved? I think they're looking at themselves and like, oh my goodness, I'm guilty of this as well. Who can be saved? And Jesus shows up and he's like, well, that's why I'm here. Because it is impossible for any one of you, I don't care how wealthy you are, how talented you are, I don't care how bright and brilliant sophisticated or intelligent you are. None of us can save ourselves. Jesus like, it's impossible. So I'm gonna do it for you. Oh, it's amazing. But what Jesus is saying is that a lot of people are living with a false security and it is going to come with a rude awakening. This is why I'm convinced prosperity is a much bigger challenge for the church than persecution. I mean, this is difficult stuff. And that verse is just striking to me where it says, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And here's the thing, we, we wanna judge people of great means, but there is a burden that comes with a blessing. And you should know don't envy someone's overflow if you didn't see their undertow. Just be careful. I think there are three disadvantages that we live calloused hearts with towards people of wealth. And those three disadvantages, one, dependence. 
It's hard to stay dependent on God when you have so many other resources to be dependent on. In addition to that, distractions. There are so many people and things that can uh, compete for your attention and your devotion and your adoration. And a lot of them are good things. They're, they're, they're good things. And lastly, duties. Because scripture is so clear. To whom much is given, much is required. And I just get this feeling in my heart where this man walked away sad. This man is standing. Look at the opportunity that this guy has. He is on the doorstep of taking an apprenticeship with the savior of the world. The others who said yes to that invitation were a part of the small group of people who changed the world, who 2000 years later were still talking about their legacy. Standing before him is the opportunity of a lifetime. And he walked away sad because he knew, oh, I just can't do it. And here's the thing. I just get the feeling we're in a season where many of you are in a similar position. Yeah, I just sense in my heart, you're not gonna miss the opportunity. I just sense God doing really profound things in and through our church. And this is what's crazy. Jesus says, it's impossible. In other words, it is a miracle. It's a miracle to save a rich person is what he's saying. This is interesting stuff. This would be like Jesus is saying to radically change the life and the heart of a wealthy person is the equivalent of eradicating cancer in a person's life. Like this is a miracle is what he's saying. This is what he wants us to understand. And I just think there is, we're stepping into a season where we're gonna experience miracles because God is, God is doing some really profound things in the lives of people. I just believe it. And I want us to, to lean in open-hearted and just say, God, if there's things in my heart, God, would you just make me aware? As, I, as is always the case, I'm a little long-winded and I end with this story. The other night, I, uh, I took my daughters on a date. One of our, our good friends in Minnesota passed away. So after service today, Chris and I are getting on a plane to go home for the funeral. And so we're gonna miss Valentine's. And so I, I take my daughters out on this date and, and we sold out to it. I put on a sport coat. This is, this is all of us. Go ahead and throw the pictures up there. And um, this is me and my daughter. So here in Carmel, there's a place called Cake Bake. <laughs> I'd never been. The estrogen in this room is at a different level. It just was something else. So we go in there and the girls ordered these huge cakes, which was great. Um, this is actually the cake we served at our, our wedding, same flavor, which 17 years ago today, I proposed to Kristen. Pretty cool, yeah. Yes. And uh, this was such a unique experience for me. I mean, on the way into the restaurant, it's raining. The girls wanted to dance in the rain, so we danced in the rain. We, we get into this space and quite honestly, I'm a little uncomfortable. I think I was the only guy in sight. Um, the whole thing was a little outside my preferences. 
Uh, Kristen and I are continuing our Daniel fast. So right now we're vegan. So the girls are eating these huge chocolate cakes. And I'm like, I'll, I'll take a cup of coffee. And at this place, they bring me a cup of coffee with sprinkles in it. <laughs> so I'm trying to be a, a team player. I'm sipping this coffee. I've got like gold glitter in my teeth. <laughs> and then the waitress comes over and she says, would you like me to sprinkle you? Never been asked that before. <laughs> and she proceeded to sprinkle pixie dust on me and my daughters, throwing glitter all over us. And um, I, I gotta say this. I would have picked a lot of other things to do that evening. There's so many other things that I'm like, I, I would have rather preferred this. The only reason why I did it is because there's gonna come a day when I walk these little girls down an aisle. And I hate even thinking about that day. And I don't wanna live with any regrets and I don't wanna have a superficial smile on that day. So I always think to myself, I want my smile to be genuine at their wedding. So I don't wanna live with any regrets and I wanna set a standard to where they know anything beneath this standard is unacceptable. He ought to open the door for you and he ought to be a gentleman and he ought to treat you kind and serve you well. And he ought to just honor you to the best of his ability. And at the end of the day, it's like, I will dance in the rain. I will get sprinkled with glitter. I will drink terrible coffee with glitter in my teeth. I'll do the whole thing. Also, I can win their heart. That's all I wanna do. I wanna win the hearts of my little girls. That's all I want. And I say that because I think God is like, ah, every time they come to these conversations, they think it's about the stuff. And God's like, I could care less about the stuff. I just wanna win their heart. I just want to win their heart. And some of you, I know these conversations bring us to the, the edge of a growth opportunity. I pray you just find yourself in a place where it's like, he can have my heart. He can have my heart. If there's anyone who can trust, I can trust my heart into their hands. It's him, amen?